Hello again, everyone. It's Mark Stenson here, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. And as I say that, we have promised you interviews with experts from all over the world in publishing and film and animation and music. And so far, we have taken this virtual global tour. We've been to Cambodia, Oslo, Norway, Milan, Italy, Barbados, all sorts of cities around the US, LA, New York, Portland, and Columbus. And today, we're punching our ticket in Paris, France. And my guest is just the kind of eclectic, creative talent that we hope to bring on. Uh, Jason Barnard, he's a digital marketing consultant and musician. He's even voiced an animated blue dog in a, in a cartoon series. And I can't wait to talk about that. So my guest, Jason Barnard from Paris. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very pleased. I mean, Paris sounds terribly romantic and uh, incredibly, I, I think Paris is such a cool place and it sounds so cool. Uh, reality, as with all these things, is not quite as good as one might have. <laughs> there you go. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get our book, A World of Creativity. Paperback is at a special price of $5.98, and the Kindle version is only $0.99. Cents. Go to my website, mark-stinson.com. The book is featured on the homepage. You can click it and go to Amazon, mark-stinson.com, and enjoy the book. My guest, Jason Barnard. Well, I can tell by your French accent that this is your adopted home. Yeah, I moved here ooh, 32 years ago. I've been, in, uh, I've been away from the UK. I'm actually English by birth, born in the north of England in Leeds, in a tiny, tiny, well, I was brought up in a tiny village and went to school in a tiny town, um, which was interesting. And then moved to Liverpool, um, where my life just exploded into life. It was, it was like black and white to colour. And then moved to Paris, where my life exploded into life again. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, looking back, I mean, I loved Liverpool. I really, really loved Liverpool. People there are absolutely delightful and warm and loving and welcoming. And I played the Cavern Club, um, where nice. the Beatles played, which was rather cool. Uh, moved to Paris. And because I moved away from what I'd grown up with, I, one day I woke up and I thought, I can be whoever I want. And That's that right. was the moment of revelation for me. It was the moment I just went, ooh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, a complete restart button. Yeah, and, and just going, so what do I want to do? Um, and I'll, I'll put a little bit of a dampener on it. it. In Paris, if you live here for a year, you'll get really depressed. You don't meet people. You don't make friends. You feel alone. Uh, it's a real struggle. It's a big city. It's difficult. People aren't particularly friendly off, uh, right off the bat. And after a year, you make your friends, and then it's absolutely wonderful, and I'm mm. so glad I stuck it out. That's great. Push through pushing through that kind of difficult spot. I mean, sometimes it can be a waste of time because it doesn't work out. And sometimes you go, wow, I'm glad I did that. And uh, you said I was in a, in a band, I play music. Uh, that, I played music in Liverpool. I was a singer in a band called Stanley the Counting Horse, blues band. And I was the thinnest, thinnest, actually quite small. I grew uh, quite a lot between 18 and 19 for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, late puberty, probably. Uh, and my voice dropped incredibly. And I've got this big voice for singing like this. And I had it. And I was literally two inches smaller and as thin as you can imagine. And people would just look around and they're going, where is that voice coming from? And they wouldn't believe it was me because it was this kind of enormous big voice. Yeah. Oh, and the drummer in that band was Ben Gunn, 
who's the guitarist who wrote the riff for Alice in Sisters of Mercy. Love it. These it's are the mad. six degrees of separation that, uh, that we yeah. love. Yeah. The guy called Ben Gunn, he played the drum. He, he didn't play it for very long, but he was in Stanley the Counting Horse in Liverpool. I actually went onto a forum where they were saying, what happened to Ben Gunn? Because he disappeared, because he, he hated the fame, as it turns out, in the system of mercy, who became very famous. Uh, and left and went to Liverpool University and joined our band. Uh, so I could actually tell them he ended up playing blues uh, <laughs> as a really, really second-rate drummer in a really awful second-rate blues band. But we played the Cavern Club. Love it. Well, listeners, I think you already know you should be buckled up by now because uh, this is going to be a roller coaster of an interview <laughs> with stories coming at you from all angles. And as I say, digital marketing consultant, Jason, we want to get into brand SERPs. S-E-R-P-S. So we'll get into that. We'll talk about uh, your your band, a punk folk band. And I can't wait to talk about voiceovers and animated cartoons. But before we do all that, we like to uh, start our show with the lightning round. You know, instead of waiting at the end for this uh, rapid fire question, I want to just jump right in. So uh, it's at the end of your day in Paris now, but was there a creative project literally on your desk, on your desktop? that you said required your full creative attention today? Yeah, well, I, today it was writing an article, and a, a writing an article to explain to people, I mean, digital marketing sounds really boring, but I mean, there's a lot of creativity that goes into it. And I was talking about content strategies and how to analyze a content strategy and understand whether or not you're actually reaching your audience uh, with something that resonates with them. And that's looking through a brand set, which is the search engine results page for a search query on your exact match brand name. So... F- as a person, it would be Jason Barnard. As a company, my company is called CaliCube. It's what appears there. And what Google shows is what's most relevant and valuable to your audience. So it's a really easy way to see whether you're actually successful with your content. And I was trying to explain that in, a, in a, an enjoyable way. And I think the writing process, something I've had a lot of trouble with. I'm 54 years old now. And I wrote my first article uh, three years ago, four years ago. Uh, and it, it turns out because my father and his wife are both writers. I was scared of the, of the, of the quality that I would be producing. And I mm-hmm. had creative, creative block, if you can call it that, just about writing uh, up until I was 50. And, and now, I, honestly, I was talking to a friend and I still suffer a little bit. That idea that the, uh, my, my parents will judge the quality of my writing, even though they never read what I write. Um, and I, no, think, that, I think that's that is how the psyche works, isn't it? Just thinking as you say that, uh, sometimes we stare at the blank screen or the blank page and say, how do I get started? Do, yeah. do you have a framework or a, cre- a creative process that you say, okay, I need to write an article and here's how I'm going to start? Um, kind of. Uh, I, I just write any old stuff. I mean, I start off and I say, this is what I need to write about. Or I was writing a, a, a video script. I mean, I do a lot of video. Uh, and some of them I improvise, and some of them I write, and then read off the teleprompter. The the is it called the teleprompter in English? Sure. Oh, okay, jolly good. <laughs> um, and I, I enjoy both. I actually prefer ad living just in the sense that I feel more at ease. I don't. I mean, I you know let it flow and it's fun. But uh, I think when you read off a teleprompter, you get to the point much more concisely and precisely and it's much more understandable because you've actually thought through and you get rid of all the guff i mean i've just spoken for a minute and probably half of it was useless uninteresting guff. <laughs> that's, that's how it goes but sometimes when when you're too uh, scripted you know and you're reading off your 
your notes, it can be a little stiff and impersonal too. It's like you're reading yeah. out of a book. And, well, it, it's uh, interesting. I find I get, it, it's more stiff and I get more nervous. Um, and I was talking to the friend who was actually the singer from the band we talked about earlier on, uh, who's still a very good friend of mine. And he was saying, it, between writing and doing videos, for example, I feel more he's doing videos. He was saying, writing seems to be more absolute, concrete, set in stone. And it's a bit like the difference between playing a gig and playing on a record. When you're playing on a record, you actually suddenly get nervous about something you know how to do and you've been doing thousands of times in gigs. Because you have this idea in your head, and your head just goes, "Oh, this is set in stone," and it panics. And you go, "Actually, this this is a lot. It should be the other way around." Because when you're doing a, a record, you can keep playing until you get it right. Right, right. Because in a gig, you get it wrong. The live note uh, is it. Yeah, That's yeah. Um, but so, I mean, coming back to your question, yes, what I do is just start to write uh, and start to create, uh, create something. Um, because it's much easier saying that's rubbish and making it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of uh, when somebody sends me something, if somebody I'm working with somebody, they send me something, my first thing is before I start talking, before I start saying what's wrong with it, I do appreciate that actually writing the first chunk or doing the first chunk or creating that first, making that first step is by far the hardest part. And it's really easy once somebody's done that to say, that's rubbish, we can do better. Mm -hmm. And when it's time to get over that creative block or that writer's block, wherever you find yourself, is there a source of sort of re-energizing or reigniting? Uh, Where where do you go to get that refueling? I I actually, it's really, really boring. I just force myself. And what I find is when I force myself, it's, it's, it's a barrier. And once you get through it, I suddenly go, oh, what about that? What about that? Oh, blah, blah, blah. And my natural enthusiasm and positive attitude kind of comes to the fore. It really is forcing yourself through that barrier. It's like coming to Paris, force yourself through that kind of sticky period and it will flow if, it, if it's going to flow because some things just don't. Some things are not going to live. Some things are not going to flourish. And, and maybe part of the art as well is to know when you're going down the wrong path. Very good. All right, Jason. Well, let's get back to the digital marketing. Mm. And uh, you teased us a little bit with what a brand SERP is, but why don't, why don't you back up and define it again for us and tell us why it matters right now and what you're working on with it. Ooh, yeah, no, I can actually turn this around and say I'm being creative here because within the digital marketing space, nobody else is looking at this. Mm-hmm. I'm the only, I call myself the brand SERP guy because I'm trying to brand myself with that. But uh, what was interesting is I started talking about it five years ago and nobody would listen. People in the industry were just saying, but that's obvious, it's easy. I rank number one. When you search my brand name or my personal name, I rank number one. It's easy. There's no problem. Uh, and I was saying, but there's lots more to it than that. It's more difficult uh, and more intricate and there's more to think about and there's more information than you realize. And what's, what's been very interesting is the more I look at it, the more interesting it has become. But at first sight, it just seems so boring. Um, so sticking with it, I would say, I, if I throw myself a flower, as we say in French, um, I think I've been creative and smart by realizing that this isn't a boring dead end that everybody else thought it was going to be. Hmm. Um, And what's been nice this year is I actually set out um, to say, right, okay, 2020, year of the brand set. It's the year of the search engine results page for your exact match brand name search. What appears when somebody Googles your brand name? And what I like to say is it's your new business card. 
that speaks to people. Mm -hmm. People go, I get that. Because at some point in their journey with you, I mean, you probably Googled my brand name, my personal brand name, um, to find out who I am, to find out who the company is if you're working with a company. So uh, the example would be if I'm doing an interview with you, I'll look you up on Google, and I trust what Google says. And what Google shows me about you is what Google thinks is the most valuable, pertinent, and interesting information about you that it can show you to give me an overview of who you are, what you do in an instant. And if you, look, if you take a step back, you say, actually, it's up to me to create that message, who I am and what I do. It's me who decides. And Google is just there to reflect it. And it's mm -hmm. up to me to make sure that Google's reflecting accurately. And give us a little of the mechanics then of how you do that. If, and I think about it in context of storytelling. You know, brand storytelling is, is our focus these days in branding. You know, you want to create the persona. You want to mm. create the story of, of you, your customer, that relationship. But now you're getting into the nuts and bolts of how do you make sure that shows up on your Google search page? That is the boring bit. You're right. Um, up until there, it was philosophically very interesting. Exactly. And, the nuts and, bolts and now and we're going to get down into it. Well, yeah. it, just really quickly, in fact, I, I realized the other day, in fact, what's, what's happened is if you look at my brand set, you search for Jason Barnard, you'll see on the right-hand side, there's what we call a knowledge panel, which is the information that Google considers to be factual about me. And that contains the blue dog, the band, my mother, my daughter, a uh, photo of me, that I'm a British French musician, and the songs I've written. Uh, and my social accounts. And so that's basically my life story in, in kind of like 400 pixels, which is very strange. And on the left-hand side, what I've done is convince Google to show only things about my current job. So it's all digital marketing. So what I, and that's basically what Google thinks is relevant uh, to the search today. And before it was full of the blue dog and the band and I had to get rid of that in order to make my career or my digital marketing career better. And the mechanics of that is, is simple, really simple SEO. So I've been doing SEO for years, uh, search engine optimization, trying to get to the top of Google. And what's interesting here is you're trying to get to the top of a search that is your name or your brand name that's kind of very limited in scope and that you should be able to get to the top of pretty easily. And that's the, the fact is you can. And so uh, what I've also found, which has been interesting, is it's a really easy entry into SEO. It's a really way, easy way to understand these techniques, which are changing meta titles, changing meta descriptions, what Google shows, the blue link and the little description underneath, uh, creating great videos, making sure that Google understands that the, your audience is engaging with them is another way to get videos on there, for example. And what it comes down to is simply good SEO strategy for yourself or your brand. And because it's a controlled environment, because there isn't actually any competition, it's a really nice way to get people to learn SEO without getting frightened by it. Yes. Because yes. you can win pretty much every time. Mm. Yeah, because it can be overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, especially yeah. I think about our listeners are more maybe the creative types, you know, mm. and uh, I think about the artists, the sculptors, the authors who say, I, I need some way to show up more in search. And I don't want my old boring, you know, stuff from 15 years ago to show up. Just what you say, I want to start tweaking to my current work. Yeah, I want to appear in search, which is great. But actually, the other thing is, I also want to talk to people like yourself, or interact mm -hmm. with people by email or on social media or in person in the bar that's behind you. 
Uh, people who are listening can't see that, but there is a bar <laughs> behind him. And I want, when they look up my name, when they look me up on Google, that they see what I want them to see. They see the brand message that I want to get across. And I actually just, I have a collection of 70,000 brands and people in uh, my database on calicube.pro. So if you want to track what appears across the world, you can put it in there for free because it's a research project. Because I'm just trying to understand what Google shows about whom or what type of people, what type of brands and why. Uh, and how we, can, how we can learn to control it, how we can influence what Google shows. And I just added 2,400 music groups that I found on it in a database somewhere. And that's been really interesting about how much information Google is willing to show on that right-hand side and how well groups do in terms of ranking, how much Wikipedia dominates. Uh, Wikipedia obviously is this kind of, uh, it, it, it's both glorious and awful because Glorious in the sense that it makes you feel good. It's great for your ego. I had a Wikipedia page until they deleted it. And my ego was having a great time. They deleted mm -hmm. it. My ego took a big hit. But the truth be told is, now that the Wikipedia article has gone, I control the message more. Mm -hmm. Because it isn't Wikipedia editors who don't know me or don't know about me who are controlling what's being said about me. And Wikipedia does tend to dominate when it's present, of course. Yes. And tell me that website again. K-A-L-I-C-U-B-E dot pro. Uh, you just go in there, you, you say, add, add my brand, and you can add yourself as a person, a music group, a brand, a local business, an event, basically entities, and that's a whole different ballgame, as you would say. Basically, it's tracking what appears when you search for something identifiable, such as a music group, a person, or a brand, or a local business, or an event. And I'm phenomenally, phenomenally interested. I mean, I love this stuff. I've had an exciting life being in a punk folk band and I've been a blue dog in a cartoon as we're going to talk about in a bit. Both of those are passionately interesting for different reasons. And this is passionately interesting for another different reason. Uh, the data, the information, understanding. Google is this machine. It's, it's the most intelligent, quick, massive machine that mankind, humankind has ever created. And the people at Google don't understand how it works. <laughs> and my job is to look at it from the outside in this tiny niche, which is just personal brand names and brand names, and say, how does it decide and how can we influence it? Mm -hmm. And I think people fail to realize that since 2017, human beings at Google have start, gradually stopped actually controlling what the machine does. The machine writes itself. Mm. The machine is writing its own code. It's machine learning. And that means that all the humans do is decide what goes in and if what comes out is actually what they wanted. And if it's not, they correct what they push in. Keep working at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so the machine is rewriting <clears throat> its own code every single time it runs, which is mind-blowing and nuts. It makes me both frightened and excited and in incredibly interested all at the same time. I'm imagining you're the, the gearhead, the car mechanic who knows everything about what's going on under the hood. And I'm asking you how to get better gas mileage. I mean, it's so simple sometimes Yeah. Uh, what, what we're talking about. But I, I feel like is there, is there a tip, a tool? Do you say, hey, if you do one thing, at least do this to improve your search results. Is there anything like that that you would yeah. uh, suggest to us? Well, it, it's a double, a double whammy. Obviously, uh, this is your whole business. So I'm not asking you to get, <laughs> give us your secret sauce. But uh, if you say, give us an example of something that we could do to, 
you know, today to improve. Right. Things. Whatever you are, a person, a music group, an event, a podcast, your podcast, same thing. It, it's an entity. It's a thing that we can identify uh, or a brand. You need to give that entity, the thing you can identify, a home that Google recognizes as the go-to place for that entity. So, for example, your podcast needs a homepage. It, it doesn't need a site necessarily. It needs a page that tells Google what it is, what it does, who it's for. Uh, as a brand, CaliCube, my company, I have a, a site and a, a page on that site, and it's one page that says who I am, who the company is, what the company does, and who the audience is. I personally have a site, and I have one page on that site, which happens to be the homepage, that says who I am, what I do, and who my audience is once again. And so if you have that home, Google will say, okay, I recognize that that is the go-to place. That place is the place that this thing, entity, identifiable thing, controls, and can inform me about who they are, what they do, and who their audience is. Then, once I've done that, I listen to what they've got to say. I don't believe them because... You know, you don't believe somebody right. on their pure word. I then go and corroborate. I find corroborative information all around the web until it's proven. And once it's proven, I understand. Once I understand, I can start to think about presenting this brand person group podcast as a potential solution to the problem my users are asking me. Because we have to remember that every time we search in Google, we're asking a question or presenting a problem to which we're looking for the solution. And Google's job is to recommend the best solution to your problem or the best answer to your question. Right. So it, in order to do that, it needs to understand today at least who you are, what you do, who your audience is. And it's as simple as that. So give your entity a home, number one. And once that home has been identified, make sure it ranks number one. Once it ranks number one, you've nailed both Google's understanding, where it's going to get that information, and the fact that you're controlling the message right at the top of that brand set. Yeah, great advice. <laughs> you should no, have it asked. Is. I mean, and it, you're right. It sounds like, well, oh, okay, well, then that's what I'll do. But ultimately, very simple in concept and a little more difficult in execution. Which, and which interestingly why enough... we need as, experts like you to help. Yeah. <laughs> but interestingly enough, as human beings... We think, yeah, but that's obvious. And then you look at it and you say, well, it's not half as obvious as you think because you're putting information all over the place. That's right. And it's not obvious which is the principal source. And so as human beings, we, we aren't very structured and we tend to contradict ourselves. And those are two problems, that, two, two problems for Google, two things Google cannot deal with, contradiction and uh, inconsistency. Mm -hmm. Good insights. Well, let's turn the page to some other uh, fun, creative explorations and yeah. experiences you've had. Let's talk about the animated series and the voiceover and the persona of your blue dog. Right. Well, in fact, that's time because when the, the, the punk folk band ended, uh, I played the double bass. That was awesome. And I was a rock and roll star. And, uh, you know, we didn't make it big. But what was great about that is as it, when you're in a rock band, you're absolutely convinced to the bottom of your little toes that you're going to be a star and play <laughs> stadiums like you two do. And what's weird is it's so obviously not going to happen, but you're so convinced that it is. And when it all stops, you kind of stand there and you're going, crumbs, and your whole life kind of falls apart. And, and I decided after folk punk, I would do children's music. And I thought, I'm in the record industry. I can get a record deal for this easy peasy lemon squeezy. 
And it turns out that the children's music industry is separate from the rest of it. It's this kind of mafia going on, at least in France. So that <laughs> failed. I wrote the songs. I made the album, recorded it myself. Uh, it was okay. It was good enough. Um, they refused it. So I, uh, my wife and I created a story around the songs and created a website for it. Uh, and that was a big success very quickly. So I learned to code Flash, which was uh, Adobe Flash, Macromedia Flash, oh, yeah. and made cartoons and games and songs. Uh, and ended up eight years later with uh, a thousand games, songs, and animations on this website. Um, and the, the, the good thing, basically, I was the blue dog, and I was the big brother uh, reassuring to my wife's yellow koala who was the kind of child figure who would get it all a bit wrong and i would sing i would sing which is their theme tune with this kind of big baritone voice with perfectly in time and perfectly sung and all the right notes and then she would come along and sing it slightly out of key and slightly out of time which was kind of like to, to reassure the child, but also because that's how she sang. Uh, and there were a couple of things that happened, one of which is my voice wasn't quite low enough at the time, and I was 30 years old. Uh, and so I took it down to semitones to try and make it bigger and deeper. And her voice was a little bit too low, so I pushed it up to semitones. And after a few years, we realized that I, my voice had actually dropped to semitones, so I didn't need to do that anymore and her voice had gone up. The other thing that she had was that she learned to sing despite herself. And, uh, and we had this great thing in the recording studio because I would record it all in the little home studio. And I would have to say to her, look, can you do that again? Can you sing a little bit more out of tune and a little bit more out of time? Because you're singing too well. So it's probably the only time in studios where somebody's been telling somebody else, can you Take sing it off worse, a little bit. please? <laughs> please sing worse, it, this is too good. And that was wonderful. And we, we had these two characters. And after a couple of years, we realized that you can't create games and songs and animations for kids forever with just two characters. It's too limited. So we created these families. But by this time, we had moved to Mauritius in the Indian Ocean. And in Mauritius, uh, it's, it's an African country just off Madagascar. Uh, and the relatively few qualified people there at the time at least this was in 2000 so it's quite a long time ago and we created these families and so for like a year they had families but the families never said anything because we didn't have the voices and then after a year we thought okay we create the families but they can't not say anything they can't be mute so i went off looking for voice talent on the island and there wasn't any i mean and so i ended up doing five voices and that's we were talking about that earlier on the creativity comes in you're saying I don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. I have to come up with something. And I can't find somebody who does the voices that I would expect. So uh, we got our daughter to do one voice. Uh, and I did, I was the blue dog, and I was my own father, my own mother, and my wife's father, and my wife's grandfather, uh, which Love makes it. for... You can understand now why we got divorced. Yeah. <laughs> Too uh, many people and, in your head. <laughs> yeah. And what was, what was nice is uh, when I, we, we had the character, her father, the daddy koala, and I would have to do this voice. It was, hello, everybody. It's lovely to see you. Oh, this is really <laughs> sweet. Oh, I love talking to you. And, and it, it sounds like somebody else. And then I had to do the grandfather. And it was, 
Oh, hello, well, I don't really know what to do with you today, Koala. Can we paint some pictures? And you get away with it. And you're saying your daughter does uh, voiceover. Uh, absolutely. And you separate yourself from reality and take on this character as you've, as you've been describing. Yeah, and I would call that forced creation, being in a situation where I have to come up with a solution. And what was interesting about it, I realized very quickly, is you have to take, I take on the form of the character. So mm -hmm. when I do the grandpa, I kind of crumple myself up yes, a bit. Yes, it's very physical. Yeah, it is. And uh, you look at somebody like Mel Blanc, who did all the cartoon mm -hmm. voices for the Warner Brothers cartoon. I would so much have loved to talk to him because, I mean, you know, I managed to do five voices of which two were pretty rubbish. And one of them was my own. So I, I can actually only say I did two voices and I've just done them today. And they're not that brilliant. <laughs> And he did like, you know, 100 voices, 200 voices. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Nuts. Insane. Well, this has been a great conversation, Jason. Uh, we, we could go on for hours here, I'm sure. And uh, people who like to hear these stories know you have your own podcast too. Tell us where to connect with that so we can hear some more of your experiences and stories. Right, yeah. That's on CaliCube.pro, uh, same as the site I mentioned earlier on. There's a podcast section and there's a tools section where you can look into all this digital marketing stuff. The podcast actually about digital marketing which is why I wanted to come on this show, because I wanted to talk about creativity. The, the and, creative process. Yeah, and you can see, I think my cheeks have gone red and my smile's gone right up to my ears. That's right. Well, that's what we hope to uh, offer folks. <laughs> my guest has been Jason Barnard in Paris and just well-rounded creative energy coming from a lot of different places. So be sure to connect with Jason, calicube.pro. Thanks, man. So just want to thank all you listeners for stopping by. We've been unlocking your world of creativity with Jason Barnard from Paris. Join us again next time where we're going to tap into your original thinking, get inspiration from the experts. And really, I think what's helpful is that I've been getting feedback from you. These specific tools and exercises and formulas and approaches that our guests have been sharing, not unlike what Jason told us about brand surfs, that we can really apply to elevate our work and get it out into the world even more. So thanks for coming by, and we'll see you again next time. Take care. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson. Copyright 2020. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer.